The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you this week by you, the hundreds of people who listen to the Door County Pulse podcast and the weekend primer twice a week, every week. If you're an individual or small business who would like to reach out to those hundreds of listeners each week, then why not think about sponsoring an episode of the Door County Pulse podcast or weekend primer? You can do so by emailing us at info at doorcountymarketing.com. From all of us in Door County and across the United States who check in every week to the Door County Pulse podcast, we look forward to hearing from you very soon. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined this week by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor of the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. What's new? It's been a couple weeks since we've talked. Yeah, I was out of town a little bit, uh, went over to the other side of the lake, um, enjoyed the beaches in Michigan, and uh, did what I usually do on vacation, which is compare wherever I go to Door County. How'd that go for you over there? It went pretty well. Door County stacks up just fine. Okay, so we're a peninsula that points at Washington Island, and then Michigan has a peninsula that points down towards Washington Island, too, about the same distance away. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I like to go on Google Maps and fly over that area because in my brain, that's like bizarro Door County. <laughs> like it's exactly the same but opposite. So you have the same types of shops, but just like instead of having goats on the roof at Al Johnson's, we'd have like, I don't know, beavers underground at Jim Franken's. I have no idea what's on that uh, downward slope peninsula. I'm guessing it is opposite of Door County in the sense that it's probably deathly quiet. Yeah, it, it's much more farmland and, and open areas. In my my flyovers on Google Earth, it doesn't look like it's a big resort town. <laughs> so uh, maybe my bizarro thing is, is uh, maybe closer than I think, but in different ways. <laughs> so I think first off this week, uh, we should talk about the newest issue of the Door County Living magazine. Just came out. When was the day that that dropped? Yeah, that came out last week, uh, Monday. Um, at least that's when it arrived to our source and, and uh, or to our warehouse. And now the our drivers have been out dropping it all over the county. But there's a lot of really great stuff in there, some really cool articles. We had a big focus on the haunted door in this week in this fall's issue. Um, Celeste Benchowell did uh, some really cool stuff for some of the haunted spots around the county. And uh, Jim Lundstrom looked into kind of a, a scary-looking fish, the sea lamprey, which if, if you open the magazine to that page, uh, you, you might let out a little scream. That I think that that page is pretty close to where the, the staple is because it opens up to that page on its own almost when I'm trying to flip through it. Yeah, welcome to getting freaked out, everybody. Yeah. Would you say that the fall issue of the Door County Living Magazine is the official start of fall in Door County? Yeah, I think that's uh, recognized internationally as uh, the start of fall. Okay, because I know that we've uh, we've got the first day of fall coming up at the end of September, but I think that I think that we can all really start to relax into those fall vibes as soon as the fall Door County Living comes out. Well, I did notice that as soon as the issue came out, we started to see some color on the trees, so that's... Yeah, and the temperature dropped, and it started raining every day, so... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if we're trying to soak up a little bit more sun after Labor Day, we should push the issue dropping maybe one or two more weeks. Yeah, that would help everybody out. It's all on us. There's a couple other, like, there's some great stuff in there. Sean Zock, one of my favorite things. I'm not much of a golfer, but Sean Zock did this uh, really cool um, story where he went through and selected 
like his dream 18 hole golf course for Door County. So we took, say, a hole from Horseshoe Bay Golf Club, a hole from Stonehenge, a hole, hole from the Orchards, the Alpine, all over the place. The Red Putter. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not the Red Putter, although maybe the windmill would be in there or Bear. Probably bear. But he created this great course, and then Ryan Miller did some great art where he kind of make a made like the the scorecard for that um, in with that story. So that's really cool to check out if you're a golfing fanatic. Now I don't know anything about how much golfing costs or how it works for the most part, uh, but maybe <laughs> this could be the the next like golf challenge up here. You would hit one hole for each of the golf courses up here, and that would be your big eighteen course hole over the weekend. It would be a a very long day, probably stretch into the darkness to try and travel. I think there's 11, yeah, 11 courses in the county. You'd have to go over to the island. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you'd have to do it over a weekend. Right. I'm Mark. hoping somebody tries it. Next time Sean's in town, Sean lives in New York now, writes for golf.com, and he interned for us years ago, and he continues to write golf features for us, which we are really grateful for. Next time he's in town, I'm going to try and convince him to go and do this whole 18 18-hole course for us all over the county and write about it again for us. Mm-hmm. I'm going to follow Matthew Markon, who does the Weekend Primer podcast with me every week. Uh, he wants to try to hit every single mini golf course in one day. So uh, we would start up at the island right as they open, and then we'd, we'd do a couple holes there, then run back over to the mainland and try to hit all of the mini golf courses <laughs> in one day. And we're going to document it either through an article or a video with Peninsula Filmworks, but uh, look forward to seeing that maybe this fall or next year. That also would be a long day without nearly as much walking. That might be a more attainable Right, we're going to start there and then work our way up. (laughs) And again, I don't know much about golf, so I'm going to be watching full rounds of golf played for the first time. Though it's mini-golf, I think that most of the same rules apply, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty much the same thing, same sport. All right. Looking forward to this weekend, there's a couple of big cycling events coming up. Uh, We talked about the Door County Century in the weekend primer this week, but what else is going on with uh, biking? Yeah, it really is a a great time to ride in Door County. There's, over the next two weekends, there'll be close to 4,000 riders um, in two events coming up here. One, the Door County Century, that comes up this Sunday. Um, That's that's been around for a long time, about 40 years. Raises a bunch of money for charities and is done out of the Sturgeon Bay, um, the Door County Fairgrounds in Sturgeon Bay. And then Next weekend, we have the Peninsula Century Fall Challenge, which is put on by the Peninsula Pacers, of which I'm a part and which the Pulse is mightily involved in and um, as a sponsor, but also a lot of our staff helps put these things on. And that one is done out of Sister Bay at Waterfront Park. It's You really can't ask for a better venue than that. Um, we start there on Saturday, September 15th. And there's four distances, 25-mile ride for those who maybe didn't get their mileage in or just want a kind of a nice and easy course and, and get out on the bike. And then there's 50, 62, and 100 miles. Um, all, all start and end at the same spot and have great food. We, we work with a lot of great local restaurants and chefs to provide food at the aid stations and at the finish line. And there's Door County Brewing Company Beer. Tapua Kombucha is a great partner of ours with that event. Um, it should be a lot of fun. So teachable moment, Miles, walk me through this. Why is it called a century? Uh, the century refers to the longest ride or longest route in, on the ride. That's the 100-mile route. Um, some people also uh, refer, we do a metric century as well, a 62-mile route. And um, yeah, it's just kind of a, one of those things that 
for riders either who ride a lot. It's a they try to do a couple of those a year, or for those who've just never ridden that far. Um, that's kind of like your your biking version of a marathon. That's your your big kind of bucket list item. Can can I use metric century as a uh, a unit of time as well? Like if my <laughs> if this building's only been around for sixty something years, can I say, oh, the building's been around for a metric century? You you could, and uh, people might slap you. Okay. So second question: Are centuries races? They are not. So that's a good point. Like a lot of people refer to it as a race. It's not. It's a ride. Um, all the cyclists observe the rules of the road, so you stop at the stop signs. Just uh, taking your time, enjoying the scenery. Um, a lot of riders will just stop at the aid station for a while, and because we have them at like Cave Point, we try to pick scenic spots for a lot of these rest stops and soak in Door County, and it's a great way to see a lot of different aspects of the county. So, in, for instance, on our Century Ride, you see the beautiful winding road up to Garrett Bay in Ellison Bay and, and the Gills Rock um, Fishing Village. And you also see Cave Point County Park all the way down south, almost to Sturgeon Bay. And you hit Murphy Park on the on the Egg Harbor side. So there's all sorts of different parts of the county that you can see in one day that, you know, not most people don't do that in a car in the same day. Right. Well, and this is different, too, because the, the routes aren't taking you up and down 42, correct? They're taking you more through the scenic roads? Yeah, we, we avoid the, um, the villages themselves as much as possible um, with our routes. And in some cases, when we do have to go through a village, we do it as early in the morning as possible. We want to avoid the traffic, uh, both for the enjoyment of the riders, but also just to make it nice and easy for all the traffic that's up here anyway. Mm -hmm. So we try to get them in and out of the towns as quickly as possible and onto the back roads um, and almost entirely on the kind of the rustic back roads or the shore, less traveled shoreline roads. I think it's important to stress how how different it is cycling through the county than it is driving through the county. Um, a lot of times when you're driving, you're going up the highway and going through towns. And if you're coming through in the middle of the summer, it is going to be busy and there's going to be traffic. And it gets hard to take in a lot of the scenic beauty that Door County has to offer. Doing something like this and riding through on your bike through the, the centuries or even just recreationally on your own gives you, it's a different pace, number one. You're seeing different things and it, you're it's almost like how people describe being out on a kayak. You get to just slow down and appreciate a different perspective of the county than you do when you're just driving through. Absolutely. That kayak comparison is pretty apt because I was I was just on a kayak out in Garrett Bay uh, Labor Day on, on Monday. And compared to being out on a boat, which is also fantastic, but when you're out on a kayak, you just notice so many more homes, so many more of the rock formations along the shore, or maybe the staircases and stuff that people have built along the shorelines. And the same thing on a bike. You just see so many different houses and you, you just kind of fall in love with different stretches of the road that you don't really think about when you're driving a car. Taking a look at some of the articles that are coming up in this week's issue, it looks like Jackson Parr was working on an article about cruise lines coming back to the Great yeah. Lakes. Uh, tell me about this. I had never heard of this. Well, there, I guess there used to be a lot more um, cruise ships all over the Great Lakes, uh, taking people from different spots, from it, like Montreal and down to Chicago and bouncing around the different lakes. Door County, if you look at some old historic photos, you'll come across a lot of them with steamships pulling up to, say, Anderson Dock and Ephraim or floating in the harbor in Egg Harbor with the Alpine Resort in the background. And that kind of faded away over time. And Jim Luncher is actually looking into, like, why exactly that happened for another article. But there are um, there was a cruise ship that came, a smaller cruise ship that came to Sturgeon Bay this summer and docked for the day. 
and there's a little bit of an effort afloat to get a lot lot more of that action going on in the lakes. And Pam Seiler talked to Jackson, Pam Seiler from the Sturgeon Bay Visitor Center, talked to Jackson Parr for his article about some of the efforts they're making to try and attract some more of those and, and bring them possibly from not just like a day stop to maybe a multi-day stop where they might um, spend a lot of money in our towns. So just another uh, opportunity to bring some tourists up. And for Sturgeon Bay, maybe a place that doesn't have quite the the throngs of Northern Door, like they, they have some capacity to accept a lot more tourists. Maybe people in Northern Dorm, some are arguing that we're at capacity. I don't agree with that, but the Sturgeon Bay is ripe for plenty more. So it's a, it's a good option. The waters around Door County see a lot of commercial maritime activity and a lot of recreational as well. What would cruise ships coming through the county, what, what impact would that have on the economy? And I mean, what, what's the difference there? Well, I mean, depending on how those things are, are structured, but if it's, um, you know, it's not going to bring in the overnight lodging dollars per se, but, you know, they could dock for a few hours, you know, pack a bunch of restaurants, almost like a, like a bus tour might. Sure. And maybe not, maybe not with the, some of the negative connotations that some people might attract, attach to bus tours. I know there's a lot of people in the service industry who don't love the sudden influx of 120 people mm-hmm. at once. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just an, an, and plus it introduces you to a lot of different people. Those people might come from different places as well, depending on where those cruise ships um, dock or where they leave from. They, it might uh, open the door, excuse the pun, to Door County, to people who aren't just from our traditional target markets of Chicago, Madison, Milwaukee, Minneapolis. Maybe it introduces us to some of the Canadian market. Right. Well, and that, it's interesting that you bring up uh, where people are coming in from, because I was talking with Brett Cosmiter about the difference between uh, northern Chicago suburbs and uh, southern Chicago suburbs and and where they go to vacation. Right. So it, there's a very clear line where it's like north of this area, they're coming up to Door County. South of this area, they're going around to Michigan, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, my wife's family is from the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and they're kind of an anomaly up there because they did go south to the New Buffalo area, which is about an hour to an hour and a half um, outside Chicago, just over the Michigan-Indiana border. And But most of the people uh, who stay in that area might be western suburbs of Chicago or south side of Chicago, whereas if you're on the north side of Chicago, you're more likely to be a Door County visitor. Um, right, because you don't have to drive through Chicago. Yeah, it could cut off a half hour to 45 minutes of your drive, especially as compared to people who maybe live in the city, because mm-hmm. just that, that extra city traffic that I recall from trying to get out of the city. So yeah, there's definitely a, a geographic divide there. But, and, and this is something that, you know, hopefully there's a couple that come in next year. Um, and from what Jackson had found out, like looking at 2020, 2021, seeing if they develop a market for this sort of thing that might, might grow and expand. One other article that I wanted to look at this week has to do with the new roof of the Stabor Bar right next to Al Johnson's. This was written by Anne Grote Perung um, about putting up a new sod roof on Stabor. So Stabor was built, was it a couple of years ago now? Or was yeah, it? I think this is its third summer okay. next to Al Johnson's up in Sister Bay. And did it have a, a sod roof before? It it had, they had tried to grow some grass on it and uh, they, this was a building that they pulled in the main structure of that building, they moved from kind of like a back lot of uh, on the property of Al Johnson's 
They moved it next to Al Johnson's on what used to be the Chris Grocery Store location for those who are, um, I wouldn't say old timers, but if, you're, if your memory of Sister Bay stretches back to the early 80s, mid 80s, you remember Chris Grocery Store as the Sister Bay Grocery Store. Mm-hmm. Um, when that moved, Al Johnson brought that, bought that property and just left it as a little lawn basically for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And three years ago, they, they brought this building to the, the grass next door to Al's. And it was just the building that they put the the cooler in and the tap lines in for beer and some storage. And then over the last couple of years, they've added a little bit more to that structure. And now they've actually added a whole kitchen and a big bathroom facility and storage facility there. So it's a much bigger um, building now with a couple of big wings. And those new wings are are brand new. So they had to do a, a whole new roof on all of that. And they wanted it to match the Owl's look. So they're putting the grass roof on there. And what we had, Ann uh, Perung, one of our freelancers, she went up and, and spent a day and, and talked to Jason Orsted, who is a, a local landscaper. He's born and raised in Door County, um, who uh, just about the process of how you get, how you put in a grass roof. It's not the easiest thing in the world. I mean, you, you take it for granted because you see it at Al's all the time, mm-hmm. but it's a pretty complicated process. Right. Well, and it's also... As I was skimming the article, one of the things that he said is you kind of lay the sod down on the roof the same way that you do it anywhere else, except you're at an angle, which I'm sure introduces a lot of different uh, challenges. Yeah, I had chatted with him a little bit about it. They had to actually put some dirt down, and they weren't going to irrigate it, and they were just going to try and water it and, and put some seed up there and grow it. And it just didn't take. And part of that is because you need to water it constantly, especially this summer where we had that huge dry spell in right. July and most of August. So in anticipation in, in mid-August of a special event they were having at Stabur, they wanted to make sure they had a grass roof down and didn't just look like some random weeds and, and dirt up there. So they called Jason back in and this time he brought in sod. And he laid down an irrigation system so they won't have to go and put sprinklers on the roof, which is what they do on the, the main Alice building. Right. And so the grass wouldn't die again. So he had to spend up there some of those really hot 90-degree days this summer. He was up baking on that roof mm-hmm. all day and night to try and get that sod down in time. And it's kind of interesting. One of the things they have to do to do that, they bring a like a bobcat and they lift its bucket up to the height like as high as they can go right to the edge of the roof. And that's how they're hoofing dirt and sod up on the roof to get it in place. Because obviously I think Jason said in in other attempts, he's done it with five gallon buckets up and down a ladder Mm -hmm. or he's connected when it's been a little bit higher roof, he's taken a ladder, connected it to the bucket and then walked it across the ladder onto the roof. But this time he got it a lot closer. Um, But yeah, it looks, it's, it seems like tough, unforgiving work. Sure. Well, and you, you spend a lot more time in Sister Bay than I do, uh, but so maybe your perspective is different. But I, from from what I've seen, this has all been kind of a discrete process. I mean, I, one day Stabber was there, and then all of this stuff has come. I've seen it change over the last three summers that it's been open, uh, but I've never really seen the whole area shut down or anything like that. Uh, am I am I just there at the right times, or has this been done in a way that's been very clean? And, and well, they did the roof with um, basically with, without shutting down the place at all. And he he would kind of when they were open for business, he'd be accessing it from the back where nobody would really see it, and he'd just be you'd just see a, a guy walking around up there, and then doing the other stuff and like the main he actually did the sod for the front of the property too like on the ground level but doing that at just t- indiscreet times he's they've done a really nice job of trying to keep that place 
going and going full bore because that that place is busy all summer long. It's it's crazy to think that just a few years ago we didn't really have outdoor dining and like Sister Bay, all those businesses suddenly realized it and now it's all about the outdoor dining. Right. Uh, I got to spend a little bit of time at Stabber a couple days ago. I was filming down in Sister Bay and it it's different than I actually thought that it was. And maybe I'm just thinking about when it first opened up because I, I remember it being basically like an outdoor bar and that was kind of it. But now, I mean, I walked in and it couldn't have been more picturesque. You had families playing beanbags in the front area. Yeah. You had a family coming in with their kids on bicycles and racking their bicycles up. You had people at the bar and people at the outdoor seating, eating and drinking and having a good time. And it, it just has become this in a way, an extension of Al Johnson's, but in another way, kind of its own hip thing. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it, it has a lot of those Al Johnson staples, and it's got some drinks tied to that Al Johnson's heritage, but it, it is definitely its own thing. Um, it is cool that they've got so many kids games and stuff, so it's a comfortable family place to hang out. You just you see a lot of kids there, a lot of families there every day. Um, they've added the food section off to the side, the, the kind of walk-up order window. Um yeah, and then actually in the fall, it becomes a great place to watch a football game. They put oh, yeah. out a bunch of really big screen TVs, um, so it's become one of those spots. That and Husbys are probably the places to watch watch games in Sister Bay. So the two most important questions about the new roof. Number one, will there be goats? On no the goats. Roof? No goats on the <laughs> roof. Number two. At least not yet, unless they get a little more agile goats or, or they just get really dedicated. But That's right what now. I was going to say. Number two, can the current goats uh, hop over onto the new roof? That would be impressive. I would pay to see that. I'd be shocked. <laughs> They're going to start training parkour goats to flip over onto the new Stabwar roof. There, uh, there was some talk about putting like a catwalk across, and maybe this was just Jason's idea. Um, that was nixed in part because they need to get trucks back there, and it'd have to be too tall for those trucks. Right. I also think like the goats actually do eat the grass on the owl's roof. On the Stabur roof, I believe that grass is um, a breed that they've selected that won't grow too tall so that they don't have to mow it all Mm -hmm. the time. Well, that was something that I had read in the article was that because they're not having goats on this roof, they're not having basically free lawn care uh, from the goats grazing. So um, I believe he said that maybe the plan is to just let it grow and see what it looks like when it's all there. Uh, But as it is right now, having to get up there with a push mower and actually mowing on the roof. Yeah, I would not want to be doing that. Right. Well, I think that that's going to do it for uh, our current issue topics. We're going to take a break here, and we'll get right back in with our feature this week. So, Miles, thank you for chatting with me, and I'll pick back up with you shortly. We are back with our feature this week. Miles, you have been writing an article on uh, not only an event that's coming up, but also uh, a greater issue in the county. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that event coming up and also what you've been researching? Yeah, so on Monday night, September 10th, the uh, Prevent Suicide Door County Nathan Wilson Coalition will be putting on the third annual Prevent Suicide Walk. Um, It's a walk uh, from Martin Park in Sturgeon Bay. They'll go across the bridge and then come back over the Michigan Street Bridge and then back to Martin Park where where there'll be some free items for giveaway, a lot of informational resources on suicide prevention, some free snacks. But also it's a place for people to gather who have either lost someone to suicide or are family survivors of suicide and or also just want to support 
other people who are going through uh, what is a, a really traumatic and, and life-changing um, event, and also trying to open up the conversation about suicide and, right. and get it out from under under the blanket, undercover, and bring it out into the open so people feel a little more comfortable about addressing a topic that is a really devastating one in communities and families and particularly troublesome in Door County. Right. You were telling me about a, a really interesting kind of eye-opening statistic about suicide rates in the county compared to the state. Yeah. So when they calculate suicide rates, they do it by 100,000 of population. So in in the 2011 statistics, which were the most recent that they had available um, that were comprehensive enough for this story, um, nationwide, the suicide rate was about 11.8. In Wisconsin, it was a little over 12. And in Door County, it was over 13. So no, we aren't talking about hundreds of suicides, but you are talking about a high number for the population that we have. And that's countywide. That doesn't just break it. That doesn't break it down by like Northern Door, Southern Door. Um, but I know, but it's personally in Northern Door, there have been um, a couple of suicides and, and I've, I've lost a, a number of friends to suicide. And you just know how devastating that is in small towns like this when everybody knows people. Is the statistic a result of population density or is it something that, for instance, if you have 100 people in a room and one of them leaves, 1% has left the room. But if you have 10 people in a room and one of them leaves, still one person is leaving, but now 10% of the people have left. Is it is it that and we feel it more up here because the community is smaller or does Door County tend to, to average higher for other reasons? Yeah, well, I think... I think it is partially that in that we're just a smaller community. So each time it happens, it's, it has a greater impact. Um, but I, but it also is, there are things that would, would lead that rate to be higher here. Um, you have the isolation. We're a peninsula. There's not, while we have all these people who come in the summer, you have these long winters of, um, without all that business, without maybe if, unless you're really working to get out in the community, people can become shut-ins. They can, they can kind of dwell on their problems. There's time to do that. There's unemployment in the wintertime is, and that, that seasonality of employment, those big fluctuations create some of these mental health issues that people deal with. And Door County, the, the Door County Public Health Department has identified um, in 2016 mental health issues and mental health awareness as one of their primary goals over the, over the five-year period that ends in 2020 is to increase that awareness of that problem that exists in the county and to come up with solutions to combat that. This Prevent Suicide um, Coalition is one of those responses. It was started by Cheryl Wilson after her own son killed himself in 2010. And there was no suicide prevention organization in the county when that happened. And so they started this and they've started a program called QPR, which is uh, Question, Persuade, and Refer which is basically to encourage people to be, and they're going around the county doing trainings for this, but getting people to recognize the signs of somebody who might be having suicidal thoughts, to just ask them that question. Um, these are people you know. These are um, people you're familiar with, not just strangers. Ask them questions. Are you having suicidal thoughts? If they say yes, if, if you identify that they are, try to persuade them to get help and to refer them to the right resources to get help and know what those resources are. And that's part of their program too, is just to let people know that these resources are out there. And that's, that's very important. And if people can talk about it, they can know that there's a greater chance that somebody out there who's struggling will, will know that other people 
are struggling with this too and that they might be able to ask for help and that they they might find out where they can go for it. Reaching out to people that you care about and and keeping them keeping in contact with them is one of the most easy important things that you can do to to help people through things. Um, dealing with depression or having friends who have depression um, it's it's amazing how how little effort it takes to reach out to somebody, but how big of an impact it can have. Yeah. Um, I've struggled with depression in my life, and I know my first winter up here was was particularly hard. I was right. moving to a new state. I didn't have any friends. I was working a job that wasn't particularly fulfilling, and I, there was there was nobody up here. There was nothing to do for me, so I felt very isolated and and lonely. So I would reach out to my friends back in the Twin Cities. And those conversations meant the world to me, even if they were just short, hey, how's it going, sending each other, you know, funny texts or funny videos. They were they were enough to to make me smile and to keep me moving forward. And I always make it a point to reach out to my friends who deal with mental health issues just to to check in on them. Um, And and it it doesn't have to be anything like, hey, how are you feeling? But as, as just reaching out and talking to people and you know, sending them something funny or sending them something that reminded you of them just to let them know that you're on their mind. Right. Uh, when I would get text messages from my friends, um, waking up to them who sent me in the, you know, late at night or something like that, it made me feel really special. Like, like I, I mattered right. to a lot of people, um, which is one of the best feelings in the world. And, and like I said, it's so easy to just send somebody a text, um, Yeah, nowadays communication is so easy. And sometimes it can be so flippant that even a little extra effort can go a long way because people are so used to these quick messages, which are all good in these cases. But even a little bit more, a little bit longer text or something might be something that really stands out for something in what could be a difficult moment. And you never know when somebody might be experiencing that kind of moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really is, you know, as somebody who's, who's lost a couple of friends, you do wonder in kind of that survivor's guilt of well, what would have, what if somebody would have been there in that moment? What if they would have been able to talk to someone at that particular time? Was it, was it just like, okay, they were having a bad week or a bad month or a couple of bad months, but that moment just happened to be that little bit worse that they could, um, they could harm themselves. And you wonder like if somebody stepped in at that time. So you well, don't know what it might be for somebody. Yeah, and you start to think. So too, why like, not just be nice? Yeah. Why not just be empathetic? No, exactly. Because you start to think like, well, well, what if I had been the person who could have talked to yeah. them? What if, what if I had been there for them? And and you should do yourself a favor now and prevent those kind of questions from ever coming up. Right. Like, just reach out to your friends and and chat with them, um, especially in the social media age where, like, all of my friends from high school, even just acquaintances in high school. I'm still connected to in some way. Uh, we live completely different lives now, um, but the friends that I had in high school, every once in a while, I'll still reach out to those people just to kind of see how it's going. And it, it's it's easy, but it's also really great to check up too. Mark uh, Titus was uh, he's a former college basketball player for Ohio State who has come out with his uh, with stories about his depression issues that he's faced over the years, and he had a great point the other day when. When, when faced with anything, empathy is never the wrong answer. If you're grappling with, oh, maybe I should say something or maybe not, or maybe it's the wrong place, like go with the side of saying something right. and being empathetic and, and caring for somebody. And you really wish, like, I mean, that could apply to political discourse and everything, everything our president says every day. Like, you can always just be a little bit better. 
Well, I, I could say that about local politics and, and most of our board meetings. Sure. Um, and we'd be a lot farther ahead. You know, a part of this walk, too, and, and what they're they're stressing is not just prevention of that event happening, but giving people who have survived or who have lost somebody an opening to talk about it. I know personally, I lost one of my best friends when I was 19, and it was really difficult to get out of my own head in, in terms of like seeing yourself through the lens of, wow, one of my best friends killed himself and kind of defining yourself that way and thinking that everyone else was looking at, at you that way. I've talked to um, parents of people who have who have committed or committed suicide is the wrong word. I, I hate when I say that, who have died by suicide. And they say the same thing. They go out in public and they see them. They know that everyone's thinking about that. And but it's it's even though everyone's thinking it, you don't bring it up. You don't talk about it. And these kind of events and talking to these parents, it's, it'd be nice they want to get over that. They want to get over that stigma that's attached to it, that it's like this taboo thing we don't talk about. It's far more common than murder. It's more than twice as common as murder in this country. And we talk about murder all the time. And we can't have an adult conversation about suicide in many right. cases. So um, hopefully more awareness like this leads to more people having these conversations. Another horrible statistic that, that I found was that almost 5% of high school students have attempted suicide. 15% report having suicidal thoughts. And if you think about like a school like Gibraltar, which is a little under 200 kids, you're talking 10 kids in that high school. Right. And when you start thinking that way, you can really put it in your small town terms. It's a real issue. And, and it really makes you sad to think of that many kids struggling that much um, in, in any given day and any given year. Right. Well, and depression is a vicious cycle and it, it compounds on itself. And it it's so easy. When I'm depressed, the, the things that make me feel better are, are getting out and doing things and checking boxes on to-do lists and, and, and accomplishing things. But when you're depressed, you don't want to do anything. You just want to sit and watch Netflix or, you know, you just, and then you feel bad about not getting things done. And it, 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 it's a cycle. Steamrolls. Yeah. It continues to push you down further and further and further. And after a while, these things mount on each other and you're feeling, you're feeling bad about feeling bad right. to the point where, you know, for some people it, 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 it pushes them too far. And the statistic about high school students makes a lot of sense because you're at a, a part where your biology is going crazy in your life and your hormones are all over the place. Your brain is developing. So now you're dealing with anxiety and depression and mental illnesses that your 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 physicality doesn't hasn't adapted to at all yet. Um, so you're there's, there's there's nothing you can do. You're you're pretty much pushed out there without any defenses. And and kids are faced with pressures that I personally don't think should be put on them. But then also, like when I say that, I mean, we as adults have pushed so hard on you have to do this by this age. You have to be ready for college at 18 or you're going to mess up your mm -hmm. entire life. You have to know what you're going to do forever by the time you leave my house. Right. Yeah, right. Yep. Even though we all have experience, we've all looked back and think of how much we changed from 18 to 21 to 21 to 24. And, mm -hmm. and yet we, we still preach to our kids like how important it is to figure it all out at 16 when you start applying for colleges. Right. Um, and you need all these extracurriculars and you need to do these things. And each one that you're, that you're not doing, you're falling behind your peers. That peer pressure is enough already. <laughs> the adults, educators, parents, coaches don't need to put that extra pressure on them. Heck, when we talk about college, we still have something close to 35% of Americans 
have a college degree. So far more Americans don't have a degree than have one. And yet we have so much pressure on them. And, and we kind of create a, an environment where anything less than that college degree is seen as a failure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, growing up, I was under the assumption that you went to college. Like I was under the assumption that everybody does. And if I wasn't going to, then that would be wrong in some way. Right. The, in fact, the, the, the opposite is the truth. Yes. Most people don't go to college. Right. And we, we tend to look at them as castoffs as they grow up, those people who aren't on that college track and we don't give them the leadership opportunity. We don't give them the opportunities to, to see themselves as, um, as just as good as everybody else. I mean, you saw it with that actor this week who was publicly shamed, the Cosby show actor who was publicly shamed for begging groceries. I mean, it's a job. Yeah. <laughs> we we complain about people who don't work and then we complain about people who work the wrong kind of job. Like right. it's it's a really stupid cycle that we get into and I, I know I've taken us a little bit off topic but in terms of like the pressure that kids face, you throw on top of all that, now we have the social media pressures that none of us I, I didn't have anyway. I'm 39. There none of that existed when I was in high school and thankfully so because I I don't I can't imagine you know, kind of that envy that happens to people when you look at somebody else's life on Instagram or Facebook, or you look at the the vitriol people so easily throw around that you never would have said to someone face to face. So, you know, people might have thought I was a total dork in high school and rightfully so, um, or maybe hated my guts, but I never heard that from most of those people. Now it's so easy for people to spill that out there. And then that just feeds into your own psyche. And you got to be a tough kid to to ignore that as much as we want to tell them to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and and like you were hitting on earlier, I mean, I, in my adulthood, am much less stressed and work way less hard than I did through high school and college <laughs> because there was so much expected of me that I was, you know, I was busting myself to try to, to do all this stuff. And then I graduated college and started working in the quote unquote real world And it was like, oh, now I just have to worry about money and that's it. Like, I don't have to worry about grades or uh, turning in my papers on time or doing my homework or, (laughs) you know, it it just it's. And you start to realize I can be whoever I want. There's a crowd for me anywhere. I can find five friends no matter what kind of dork I want to be or what my interest wants to be. You don't have to fit into that mold of whatever you thought everyone had to fit into. Right. So the other thing that I wanted to touch upon is how. It's been really great for me to see all of these different communities and events that have been popping up in the last couple of years surrounding issues of mental illness or social justice in Door County. Um, the fact that this is the third annual is is great to me because it means that we've been doing this for three years and it's a new thing, but we're, we're pushing forward. You had talked a little bit about how it's kind of a taboo subject. We don't talk about it, but talking about it is one of the most important things that we can do uh, in terms of prevention or recovery. You know, for example, and, and again, I'll lean on my own experience. It was years before I could actually say out loud what my friend had done, um, that my friend had killed himself. For a long time, I would beat around the bush. If somebody asked about about him, um, when I was coaching for years, players would ask about him and it would it was hard for me to say it without like a big gulp and to get into it. But over time, I, I came to want my players to bring it up and want other people to bring it up, A, so I could just talk about it. But it meant that hopefully I was able to give some sort of message to those players or to somebody else, not just my, my players, but friends or other people who hadn't dealt with that yet. Maybe they could see it in a different light or know a little bit more. And they would know one day if they did have to deal with something like that, maybe they could talk to me about it. 
Um, cause you need to open those doors <laughs> when people are, are going through something difficult. These types of, of programs, you know, the, the coalition is also working on, um, programs in the schools, training, providing training for teachers, working in businesses and providing training for businesses and organizations for how they can be aware of the signs. Like, like I said, it's not like hundreds of people are doing this at any moment, but you know, it might not be tomorrow, but it might be 10 years ago. Something pops in your head and you notice some sign and you bring it up and it never happens. But, but it might be due to something you, you learn in one of those training sessions now or your ability to, to pose the question. Right. So creating more openness for that, training more people, and obviously it's important in the schools, but the, the suicide rates aren't, it's not just a teen thing, obviously. I mean, it's most prevalent around among adults age, I think it's 45 to 64. So when you think you've gone through everything, when you, like most of us were like, well, by 45, I've matured, I've, I can, I've figured out how to deal with everything. But for a lot of pe- people, that might be when the pressures mount the most for various reasons in their life. Maybe they lose a job, maybe they are, are going through a midlife crisis. There's so many other, or disease or, or health issues, financial issues. There's no one particular area that you could, one thing that makes this particular topic difficult is you can't just zone in on, oh, it's a kid thing. Oh, it's a young adult thing, or it's an elderly thing. It, it hits everybody. Mm-hmm. So again, Miles, what date is the is the walk happening? Uh, that's going on September 10th, and uh, it's at Martin Park in Sturgeon Bay, and uh, people will gather there in the park at about 5.30, and they say the walk will start around 5.45, and people are encouraged to bring anybody they like. Well, I think that that's just about going to do it for us this week, Miles. Thank you so much for chatting with me uh, about the Door County Living magazine that's on shelves now and also the upcoming Peninsula Pulse, which should be dropping as you're listening to this on Friday. Thank you, Andrew. It was great talking to you as always. If you are thinking about suicide, are worried about a friend or loved one, or would like emotional support, the Lifeline Network is available 24-7 across the United States. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.